the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah and i'm an india and we are your theory doctors Welcome back. Hi there. Hope you've all been well. Um, we are recording on the 2nd of July. Um, this will be part of a number of episodes that we are recording in bulk, as it were, uh, to preempt the fact that both of us are going away variously over the summer and not to deprive you of your state of the theory goodness. <laughs> Um, so this is the first of two, uh, another two-parter. We seem to be specialising in two-parters a little bit of late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, well, I mean, academics always spread. Yeah, we like to, we like know. to play with our form. Yeah. And it yes. always, it sort of snowballs. Yeah. And we also, yeah. I think with the two-parters, I like to think that when we do a two-parter, it's because what we're talking about is either quite sensitive. Yes. And deserves nuance. Yeah. And care, yeah, um, or it naturally is two conversations. Yes, and I think f- for this two-parter, it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. So this will be a two-parter on mental health. Um, we don't tend to give trigger warnings. I don't. I don't know if we've given tri- trigger warnings in the past, but um, this one this will, probably... will probably be. You know, we will be talking about. Um, Different types different, of conditions. Different types of conditions. We'll be talking about relationships between gender, race, and mental health. We'll be talking about political economy and access to healthcare. Uh, so, uh, especially if any of that feels like it might be um, personal, or, personal sensitive. or sensitive to you, then you know, look after yourself. Look after yourselves anyway. But. Um, yeah, we yes. we won't be we won't be sad if you feel like it's too much and you would like to turn off. Yes. Um, having said that, uh, the first of this two-parter on mental health uh, comes out of a couple of programs that were part of the BBC mental health season here in Britain. Uh, there was one uh, program specifically about anxiety which featured someone we've spoken about a couple of times on our, on our episodes, uh, Nadia Hussain from, from Great British Bake Off, and the other one uh, about psychosis featuring David Harewood, the actor. Um, and I watched them first and then thought that there was interesting stuff here to do with what was spoken about in terms of gender and race and what wasn't. Uh, and then I suggested that we should do an episode about these programs yes unfortunately they're not currently available on iPlayer so you can watch excerpts you can watch little clips um, and you can read about them but the full episodes aren't currently available online but they may be available online in the future Um, but so so when we talk about particular scenes we will try and describe them to to give you an idea I mean even if they were available on iPlayer if you want in Britain you won't be able to watch them uh, but hopefully we'll give give markers as best as we can. Um, 
So the Nadia Hussein and Anxiety program uh, was the first one I watched. Uh, and Why did you watch it, first of all? Uh, it generated a little bit of conversation on social media, on my social media particularly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Claire, my wife, had watched it and recommended it. So, so those two reasons. And, I mean, you know, we've made our interest in Nadia Hussain clear in this podcast. We, we like her. We've spoken about her quite a lot. So I probably would have been interested to watch it anyway. Mm-hmm. But those two specific reasons. And having watched watched the, the uh, hour-long program, what was really fascinating to me was how... I think I'm right in saying the entire episode did not feature the word race once. Uh, Nadia Hussain, in her narration of her life, talks about how she's lived with what she thinks of as an anxiety disorder. Through the uh, process of the program, she accesses therapy and is diagnosed with a version of post-traumatic stress disorder as well as as well as an anxiety disorder uh, but that happens in the present of the program as it were uh, she's lived with this condition for more than 20 years and it wasn't formally diagnosed um, and she clearly connects it in her narration of her life to bullying she experienced at school and at one point in the program she is asked by the interviewer, I think, who you never see. Uh, so she's asked by this disembodied voice behind the camera why she was bullied. Uh, and she says, because I'm dark. And that word dark is doing all of the work of race yeah. in this in this program. Um, and that seemed to me... Uh, both really unfortunate and really revealing omission because I'm not sure you can A, understand or B, mitigate against uh, the consequences of mental health problems especially in this case but in many cases if you don't account for race and racism yeah Uh, and in part I think this is doing a very both interesting and troublingly British thing of deliberate understatement to avoid dealing with the problem at hand. Um, And I'd like to unpick that a bit more to see exactly why it seems so uncomfortable for, for a nation to speak about Racism generally, but particularly racism in the context of uh, of mental health. Yes. There's some really interesting stuff that's come out of um, critical race circles in the U.S. It's come out of um, uh, kind of new psychology research and social work research yeah. and uh, kind of counseling research in the mm. U.S. I have a couple of friends who do who are professional psychologists yeah. professional social workers who are people of color often are women of color um who are are say really interesting things and have really interesting uh kind of views on this so i've sort of seen some of the 
a lot of the, the kind of progressive side of things yeah. that racism causes often causes PTSD, yeah. not just at the individual level, but at the level of a community yes. that that PTSD and the, a lot of the anxiety and other mental health conditions that come about are inherited. Mm. Um, there's some interesting work on trauma and genetics, um, within Holocaust survivors, um, and if you extend that to talk about slavery and the, the kind of violent trauma of slavery, um, it you know there's some really interesting and I think really important kind of bits of research around uh, the mechanics of, mm. of violent racism and inherited mm. mental health conditions mm-hmm. now. Um, and kind of, they call it like family memory or generational memory, these kinds of things. Um, there's some really good evidence that suggests mm. that that these are all, this is mm. phenomena that exists mm. And, mm. and occurs. Um, I haven't seen that discourse here. Yeah. That discourse, in my knowledge of it, comes from friends and colleagues who, and, and former kind of co-workers and people mm. that I've known mm. in the United States, which I mm. think is really interesting mm. because mm. this is a really, Brit- mm. Nadia is a very British figure. She's, yeah. She came about, she, her, her fame and her current mm. career come from the Great British Bake Off, which is the most British of mm. shows. Yes. We've done an yes. episode on yes. it. Um, and she baked a cake for the Queen's mm. Jubilee, she, her, her birthday or mm-hmm. whichever. Mm. We're always celebrating the Queen, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, she is a BBC personality. She's mm. She writes for the BBC, but also for The Guardian. She's mm. just... Um, she is quite British mm. in terms of how she's framed and yeah. her kind of public persona, yeah. um, while also being very clearly a woman of color. Yes, and of Bangladeshi background, and and wearing a hijab, and wearing a hijab, yeah. and her family also yes it is coded visually and discursively yeah. in the yes. media as yeah. being a Bangladeshi British family. Yes, and. That disconnect, I think, is really interesting because I would have assumed when you told me about this show mm. and you said there's really interesting stuff going on with race, mm. but I don't know if it's just me yeah. or if it's actually a thing. Mm. Um, I was like, I wonder if mm. it's because they've neglected mm. to talk about the relationship between individual health and systemic racism mm. which is not something that i have experienced mm. so i don't i can't in my kind of lived life i don't mm. i don't connect feelings of anxiety or feelings of depression to a racialized and racial mm. life I, mm. because i have never experienced racism mm. but i would imagine for you I can't, for, for a very different reason, I don't think I can connect that either, not because I haven't experienced systemic racism, but because partly due to the other kinds of privilege I have in terms of gender, sexuality, class, and so on, I have, the, the, the anxieties I have surrounding racism have not yet manifested themselves into Mental health. Mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, that, that I know of. That, that significantly impair my ability to lead my life on a day-to-day basis. So there is still for me a disjunction between the kinds of effects, lingering effects of racism that Nadia describes 
even though it isn't framed in those words. Uh, and and my experiences, my lived experiences of racism. But there is nevertheless sort of the beginnings of a kind of familiarity, a kind of understanding. Yeah. Well, you describe you have described before. Um, and we've made connections between that they're not the same, but they are connected. The types of anxiety that just accompany you being out in the world or the types of anxiety that accompany me being out in the world. Yeah. Um, and the way that we manage it yes. and kind of plan for it and cope with it. And yeah. that at any point, at any point you could feel you describe it as being unsafe mm. or feeling unsafe yes and that can change in an instant it, yes and that anxiety may not manifest itself as a as uh what you know healthcare providers might call a condition yeah. or an illness um we kind of live with it at what Foucault mm. would describe as normal levels, yes, sort of like yeah. normal and mm. acceptable mm. kind of anxiety. Yeah, but there is. You could see how it could. Yeah, you could see, you how, could it see could. how it could manifest itself into something that would be diagnosable as a condition. Yeah, and the bullying mm. she describes yeah. is very is is violent. She was subjected to physical violence. So this is what is fascinating to me. Uh, again, we've given a trigger warning, but another trigger warning. There's there's violent stuff coming. Um, in one particular bit of the program, she describes her memory of having her head flushed down a toilet, her head forced down a toilet and then it being flushed. Uh, she describes this, I think, at more than one times during the program, mm. but one particular time during a therapy session. She goes into a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, during as, as part of the program. So part of the program is watching us watching her go through this therapy. And the therapist asks, talks about how she experiences particular patterns of breathing when she is feeling anxious. And then the therapist asks her to to try and breathe fast uh, in order to generate those feelings of anxiety to see what happens. And I, when she does that, she, you can see her sort of transported through her memory to that moment. When she's, she says, I'm hiding under the sink and I know I'm got my, I know I'm, this is going to happen to me. And the discourse of the program treats bullying as if it is the same, whether or not it is racist bullying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, white people get bullied at school. It's traumatic. Yeah. It's traumatic. And the program takes that and acts as if that would be the same as, as what happened to Nadia. And because the program does that, the therapist is able to say what you need to do in your road towards managing, managing this condition is to recognize that that is never going to happen to you again. Except, of course, that does not match the lived experience of racism because the lived experience of racism is maybe that isn't going to happen to you but something like that might yeah it's that the anxiety caused by always being on the threshold of safe unsafe yeah where you can go in a moment from this is fine to 
I'm not sure I'm, I'm comfortable anymore. Yeah. And you don't necessarily, or certainly I, partly because, I, as I said before, I'm cloaked in privilege of class and, and gender and, and sexuality and location, all of those things. But you, you, you don't go, or I don't go around my life every day worrying about it every single moment. But there are moments when you do. And because there are moments when you do, it can always happen. Yeah. It can it could happen at any point. Yeah. And that is very different from This happened in the past. Yeah. Or from sort of run of the mill school bullying. Which chances are wouldn't happen again in yeah. the same way. Yeah. And her and and it's it's probably not very likely that a bunch of white women are gonna flush Nadia's head down the toilet now. No. But the underlying reason for that and she yeah. She does identify it at one point in the program, mm. and she may have identified it at many other points that were edited out. Mm. We do, we have no idea yeah. yes. what she has yes. heard, what she has said. Yes. We don't have access to that. But she has identified that the bullying was was racial. Yes, and as and you know, as a the only corollary I have is being a woman, yeah. which is very different. But yeah. also, you know, it's the the way that I can make connections. Yes. Um, and empathize. I experience misogyny differently now mm. than I did when I was twelve, but it is—they're connected. Uh, so, if you don't attribute the bullying to racism or mis- misogyny, then you miss out on that connection, right? So, elsewhere, Nadia has spoken about uh, being verbally assaulted on public transport. Mm-hmm. You know, told to go back to where you came from, yep. being called names. And unless you look at all of this through the lens of race, you aren't, you aren't able to connect the childhood bullying with that. Mm-hmm. Because you might experience racism in different ways in school and, out, and outside of school as a child and as an adult. But unless you connect it through the lens of race, you can't conceptualize the cumulative effect of living with racism on, on, on one's mental health. Yeah. And over your lifetime, yeah. because it will never, it never goes away. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate yeah. goal is that we eradicate yeah. racism. Yeah. But I don't think you plan, you plan that like in ten years you'll be able to live in a post-racist yes. society. You know, you don't yeah. plan for that. You plan for the yeah. rest of your life having to live yeah. in the here and now, which is super yeah. racist. Yeah, and it feels like such a missed opportunity for the BBC to to say something post-Brexit about what it means to be a Muslim woman who wears a hijab in Britain. And how that is a kind of social question that the audience of the BBC should be asking itself. And the, the kind of because it skirts around the question of ethics of, of what we owe to her yeah and what we owe to British people yeah and British people of color and British yeah. women of color yeah. so that that connection with gender and race that you just made uh, is really interesting not least in terms of the other program that we want to talk about which is uh, the actor David Harewood who is British and black Um and he talks about his, and, and the program as a whole is on psychosis. 
uh, when when David Hayward was a, a younger man in his in his early twenties, he experienced a psychotic breakdown, uh, and at was at various points uh, was sectioned for short periods in in uh, mental health institutions. For listeners who aren't British, yes, sectioned is shorthand for. Uh, the law in Britain that allows someone to be institutionalized uh, against, against their, their will. will for for either their own safety or that of other people. Yeah. Um, and there, what was interesting was race was absolutely talked about. Partly, what Harewood attributes his breakdown to is his gradual recognition that as a young newly qualified actor, newly trained actor. He is not being perceived as an actor, but as a black actor. Yeah. And the the disappointment and hurt and anger and pressure that that puts on, on him uh, is partly the cause of his, of his breakdown. Now, the way that race is talked about here, even though, it, as I said, it is talked about, un- unlike the Nadia programme, is inflected into two different but very interesting ways. The first and most obvious one is because it is, because Hayward is talking about something that happened to him decades ago, racism as a problem can be localized temporally, temporally as something that happened in the decades past. in the past. And racism is in the past in Britain, yes. right? That's I mean, the to, general... Yeah, I mean, that, that is part of the, the, the general argument. To be fair, the program does talk about how uh, race, how mental health psychosis specifically affects black men, young black men today. So it, it doesn't, it isn't as crude as saying racism is over. It's, it, yeah. it, it's not, a, not a problem today. But it's that connection of race and gender. Psychosis becomes, through the narrative of the program, something that happens to men. Yeah. And there, there was one particular instance in the program which was really revealing to me where he is talking to a researcher who specializes in the study of psychosis in young black men. And he asks this researcher about their work and they explain the, the connections and the statistics and, and experience of being a, a, young, a young black man in Britain today and at no point does the program acknowledge the fact that the person he's speaking to is a black woman but it, it's not one of those moments when discourse when, when speech is engendered but really they're talking about men this is a moment when speech is actually specifically gendered the topic of conversation is specifically black British men Later on in the program, he interviews women of color who are going through psychosis. So the program depicts the fact that psychosis isn't a male thing. But when he's talking to these women, he isn't asking them about their experiences of psychosis as women. Yeah. So there is a clear tension tension between what the program thinks it's doing and what it is actually doing and perhaps what it thinks it's doing what it thinks it should do and what it actually should do yeah it thinks it's universalizing using personal stories yes. which is of course what the BBC what BBC documentaries yes. like these yes 
try to do. Yes. So if they, they specialize in it. And it yes. thinks that it's universalizing and empathizing and providing these um, kind of well-known, important, well-liked individuals. Yes. Uh, kind of ha- having them share their stories so that you can connect yes. with them. Yes. When in fact... They're actually coding the conditions and the experiences in particular ways that are actually, in some cases, kind of exclusive and and not universal. That certain things, because you you've talked about the 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 psychosis as being associated with men and something that men experience, especially uh, black men in Britain, Mm. whereas anxiety in Nadia's episode Mm. is is quite gendered the other way yes. that it is a it's a very feminized yes. condition yes and even the kind of the the clip that we watched where um therapist paul as he's yes. described uh in the caption mm. therapist paul is talking her through uh her cbt and is talking her through the physical sensation of of panic that she's yes. experiencing and it's it's quite gendered in how he's relating to her. It's very paternal. Yes. It's very and it, and the the anxiety is this sort of, um, you know, it's never it's never coded as being irrational or anything yes. like that. No. But it is generalized. Yes. Um, in a way that that the way you describe um, the way that psychosis is represented yes. as being an episode. Yes. Like a. a a crisis that yes. is then managed it's resolved and then managed yes yes and that is a very gendered kind of reading yeah ideas about women and hysteria and the, the kind of constant state of of being unstable is a very womanly yeah feminized condition yeah it's the the universalizing of it is is really fascinating to me because it's it's a uh, a very specific, uh, contextualized but but clearly useful uh, example of perhaps some of the problems associated with with, with what we might loosely call humanism, mm-hmm. right? The, so so in terms of theory, uh, we'll put the put the uh, link in the in the comments. Uh, one can think of uh, the French theorist Roland Barthes, and Barthes writes about the magic of humanism. In, uh, in an essay called The Great Family of Man where he talks about sort of uh, a, a, a magical unity, commonality across all human beings is produced through discourse where what should be diagnosed hierarchies, you know, in terms of different survival rates and different infant mortality rates and different wages and, you know, different access to healthcare and all of those things which are particularly inflected through hierarchy is all flattened out in this overarching narrative of unity and commonality which where you can as as an anonymous viewer you can watch and listen to an ep- a, a description of child school childhood bullying and empathize mm-hmm. without needing to think about the racial hierarchies that might insulate you from experiencing something similar yeah so if i were not myself uh and i were if i'd taken a different path and never encountered critical theory um and was a kind of grown-up but 14 year old version of myself Mm. um i would watch 
if if I had two options to watch Nadia Hussein uh, undergo a quite a difficult uh, episode, I mean, I mm. would imagine it was quite difficult for her to do this work. Yes, um, and she will have done it for really brave mm. reasons mm. Um, and very important reasons. I would be much happier to mm. watch her do that and not mention race. Yes. Because as soon as she identifies and as soon as the program digs deeper into trauma and PTSD associated with racism and racist violence, I am no longer able to connect on a humanist level. Because it's not about you. Because it's not about me and she's having an experience that I will never and can never have and it will tap straight into my white guilt and I I would put up my like white savior hands and cry. Yes. Right? Yes. White lady fragile tears. Mm. That is that is absolutely mm. I think how the majority of white lady viewers would have watched mm. a, a sort of alternative race focused mm. episode. Yes. I get that. Mm. I do not like it. Mm. But I think that that is probably true. As unpleasant as it is to say. So, I, I mean I guess one of the interesting theoretical questions following on from this is to think about the limits of that, right? So, on the at one level, I guess it is, for those of us who do critical theory particularly, it is easy to see how white fragility, white, um, white guilt can be deployed to insulate you from thinking about race as a problem, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, that we established that. I am not white. I have experienced some forms of racism in my life, but I'm not black. Yeah. And there is, a, there is both a political and a lived experience specificity to being black as opposed to being a person of color. Mm-hmm. So where does you know where? How does that form of representation work? At what point do do I not able to? At what point am I not able to empathize with David Harewood when he talks about his experience growing up specifically as a black man, mm-hmm. as opposed to a person of color or indeed a man of color? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's it goes back to your to to humanism, this concept yeah. of humanism, and what how we're sort of trained to empathize, yeah. and how we're trained to uh, provoke empathy in others. Yeah. And there are many ways, there are many ways to I think try and and manipulate empathy or to yeah. frame empathy. But I think. It, there's something about kind of the the social worlds that we live in, yeah. which are tend to be liberal in various ways. Mm. Um, they're very kind of Western European and Anglo American, and you know, and empathy is tied up with this type of humanism. Yes, that you have to be able to emotionally place yourself in the shoes of this other person. Yeah, that's a sort of mainstream take. Yeah. You and I, and sort of the critical theory position, is actually that intellectually you can imagine yeah. without being able to experience. Yes. 
And those two processes are very different. Yeah. And in order to intellectually imagine, but without having the ability to actually experience physically or emotionally or psychologically, you have to change the way that you engage with other people and the way that you ask people to share their stories and the way that you interact with people. Like it's a whole kind of recoding of your social interactions. And yeah, I don't really know where the kind of logical end point of it is, but the, I feel like it's a, it's a, a failure of imagination Mm. on the part of the BBC Mm. to, and not just the BBC, like generally speaking, they're pretty good. Yeah. But on the part of this genre, this genre of, of documentary to imagine provoking empathy differently or telling the story in a way that, that creates empathy, but is a different kind of empathy. One in which, you know, a, a, your general mainstream kind of white mm. middle-class middle-aged audience, because that is the BBC's audience mm. Mm. can connect with Nadia and feel, feel a, a comfortable amount of shame mm. for the way that she has been treated. Mm. And, and that is a really, I mean, I don't know how you do it. There's people who spend their lives studying how you do this, yeah. but it seems to me that that is, that is something that that we should be trying to do. Hmm. If there is a problem in terms of the discourse of empathy or the 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 way society conceptualizes empathy today, because it it tends to require a kind of universalization, right? Yeah. The 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 it's almost like if I will only empathize with you if you are of the same kind of identity bracket as me. Uh, and and specifically white male, middle class, middle aged. Yeah. It's um, not just I will, but I can only empathize yes, because yeah. this discourse goes both ways. Yes, the sort of um, the girls conundrum. Yeah, where uh, it's a show that was basically like claimed to be colorblind and yeah. ended up being super white. Yeah, um, and the the question of can you write from. Mm. Can you write empathetically about people who aren't like you? Yeah. Or should you leave telling those stories to yeah. the people who know yeah. from lived experience? Yes. Yeah. And that is a you yeah. know conundrum. I guess my question then is: Is the discourse of empathy or this model of empathy? How does it affect the way we think about mental health specifically? Is there an empathy problem with with social constructions of mental health? I mean, it's really interesting because part of it is there's, as with everything, there's there's empathy and discourse, yeah. and there's empathy as a lived yeah. practice. Yeah. Because I think empathy is a is practice. Yes. Um, and you can train yourself. Yeah. You can train yourself to empathize. Yeah. In in different ways, I don't mm. think it's a I don't think it's a condition that that you just have where you don't have where you are a certain yeah. type of empathetic person. You know, there's obviously conditions where people have difficulty empathizing but for the most part yeah it's a it's a learned yeah thing um and yeah. there's the discourse of it mm. and then there's the practicing of it and they're connected but they're not the same yeah but there's the it definitely individualizes for the purpose of universalizing mm. mental health yes um so that 
like if you get your wisdom teeth yeah. out or break your leg mm. or need a corrective eyeglasses or uh, I mean any sort of like combination of healthcare mm. meets meets able-bodiedness and, and brush with disability mm. or whatever mm. it is um, that that experience is, can be shared yeah that it happens as in kind of the same way for everyone. Yeah. And we, you know, you sort of, you set a bone, you, mm. you do some surgery, you know, mm. that you give people contact lenses and there's a bit of variation in terms mm. of what you do because mm. everybody's different, but ultimately it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Mental health, there's been a sort of individualizing to universalized to do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And it seems both well-intentioned mm. and limiting. Yeah, because it, I mean, if and obviously empathy like all of this this these discourses are structural right we are not saying necessarily that some producer somewhere stands you know yeah. behind the camera and says oh no we can't let nadia talk about race because no one will be interested no this is it's, not a conspiracy no <laughs> it's it's much more systemic and much more diffuse than that so something happens to the in terms of the camera something happens in terms of the the politics of representation that in the process of the program transforms Nadia from a person who has lived through and with racism for all of her life to someone who experienced childhood bullying and is now living with the consequences of childhood bullying. Right? That 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 seems to be the transformation yeah. from in, in terms of the sort of deracination yeah. of this of this program. And our argument, therefore, is that this deracination is an effect of societal models of empathy. Mm -hmm. Which then means that we are able, better able to empathize those of us who haven't experienced mental health issues are better able to empathize with mental health issues, with people who go through mental health issues as opposed to those of us who have not experienced racism empathizing with racism. Yes. Is that the argument then? Yeah, well, because that's the point, right? This is a show about mental health. Yes. There is no... The the idea is to destigmatize mental health, and mm. I think particularly in um, it, across British society. So there's a reason yeah. they've chosen you know a, a diverse group of people. So yeah, but that, that so why is psychosis or PTSD seen to be more amenable to empathy than racism? <laughs> that I'm, yeah. uh, that's my that's my fundamental. Yeah, question. yeah, yeah. I guess it's that anyone. Well, the idea is that anyone will experiencing could experience anxiety or psychosis. That yeah. that we are all possible candidates. Yes for a, a psychotic breakdown at some point in our lives, or we are all potentially subject to violence yeah. and will experience PTSD. Yeah. And that the the causes, um, that some of the causes of, of David Harewood's psychosis or Nadia's mm. anxiety may be r- racially uh, tinged. Yeah. 
but that that's inconsequential in the sense that yours might be different. Yeah. Mine might be different. Yeah. But that's not the, it's not the issue to be addressed. Whereas you and I think, you know, from a critical theory perspective, you and I think, uh, deal with racism Mm. and a whole group of people are going to suffer less. Mm. The BBC thinks deal with stigma around mental health and a whole, all of us are going to suffer less. And, Yeah. Empathy is mm. is the 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 driving mm. kind of it's it's the the root of the change mm. that that's what will change is you you increase visibility you increase representation in certain ways and that will provoke empathy and that empathy will see the stigma distance. so the same empathy that discourages the discussion of race in this program is the same empathy that demands this program exist. Yeah. Like like empathy is if empathy is a problem or, or a source of the problem of race, it's also a source of the solution when it comes to mental health. Yeah. Right? So that Yeah. From the point of view of the program, the the point is to generate empathy in an effort to deal with mental health issues at a at, at an individual community societal level. Yeah. yeah. And to highlight forms of therapy and counseling, yeah. to highlight forms of uh, crisis care and emergency care, mm. um, to which we'll talk about in our next episode. Yeah. And to kind of show what those things are like because I mean certainly in Britain I mean in parts of the United States this is a very different yeah. very different culture yeah. if you are from a certain background in Northern yeah. California and I'm thinking specifically upper middle class yeah. white background in Northern California and you come from a liberal progressive family chances are you have had or will soon begin your therapy journey yeah. and you will have family and friends who mm. have accessed counseling who may have had counselors over the course of their lives yeah. who and there is the stigma is either not there mm. or is pretty minimal yeah um here yeah a veil is drawn over counseling yeah. to such an extent that having showing nadia in a therapy session yeah. is radical yeah from a mental health perspective yeah um and it's that kind of individual level yeah. um, connecting with her in her session where she's yeah. extremely vulnerable yeah. in the hands of a, a healthcare yeah. provider that creates the... But of course, and this is, you know, we are preempting our next episode. The part of the problem of therapy, wherever you are really, isn't stigma or lack of empathy it's lack of resources and access yeah right? so there's a there's a political economy angle here which as we will discuss discuss in our next next episode but what's interesting is how that is a you could make a very similar argument when it comes to race as well so the solution to race isn't to wide necessarily to widen the scope of empathy so that you create a world where white people can empathize with race. Yeah. 
yeah. and, and racism. But it's to change the political economy of race. Yeah. So once you are able to create a world that is able to allow for the access of resources irrespective of race, it's able to uh, erase the differences in terms of the chances of having a, a healthy, fulfilled, happy, content, productive life, however you define it. The, the chances of those are not dependent on race. Then empathy will come. Yeah. Or then it won't matter if empathy, cross-racial empathy exists. Yeah. Well, the, the conditions for empathizing or the need to empathize won't exist. Yeah. Because the empathy will be for different reasons. It'll come from, yeah. it'll, it'll exist for different, a different connection. I mean, ultimately, I think our take on programs like this yeah. is like really well-intentioned, yeah. important for a lot of people. Nadia Hussein is a hero. Yeah. Uh, as is David Harewood. Yeah. Um, but disappointing. Missing the missing the point. Missing the point yeah. on both sides, the yeah. mental health side and yes. the the race yeah. and gender side. Yeah. So so in this episode we've been talking about how it misses the point on the on the gender race side because it's a missed opportunity for a proper, rigorous, empathetic, if we want to go there, conversation about the lingering continuing effects of Racism, Islamophobia, misogyny. Yep. And how one cannot begin to deal with the with the mental health consequences of these these forces if one doesn't acknowledge that they exist and the pernicious effect they have on lives every day. Yep. And next week we'll talk about how they miss the point in terms of the political economy of healthcare and mental health care particularly. Yep. I think we can stop there for the moment. As usual, a cheery episode. Yes. Um, let us know what you think. Let us know if we've missed anything. Um, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Richardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you.